Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our church fellowship online uh, this morning. Um, what a good father that we have, a very, very good father, and that we're loved by him. What a beautiful truth to reflect on, to start our morning this morning, beautiful sunny morning, uh, reflecting on the goodness of the father, the love of the father. He just shines his love upon us, that the warmth of his love is able to melt the hardest heart. Did you know that? The warmth of God's love can melt the hardest hearts. And, you know, once upon a time you might think or might have thought that there's people in your life or people you know that would never come to the Lord, and yet that the warmth of God's love melts the hardest heart. Keep believing, brothers and sisters. Keep believing. Um, for those of you who would have felt the, the, the strength of the winds on um, Friday, I was thinking about that and thinking how much, uh, what it would have meant, the, the strength of those winds and what it would have meant for Peter when he was on the water with Jesus. And, and sometimes I think about that story and I think to myself, um, you know, the, the winds would have been strong. But when I was reflecting on Friday, I thought to myself, you know what, they, the winds that Peter would have felt might have been as strong as what we experienced on Friday. And if that was the case, because I can just imagine Peter looking around and we sort of say, oh, Peter looked around and got scared of the winds. But if they were the winds that they happened on Friday, you can understand, you can have a deeper appreciation of what Peter would have experienced on this water and uh, being able to then need to cry out and say, the Lord, save me, Lord, save me. And I think it sets up, hopefully sets up a bit of a, a picture for this morning where Peter was in a situation where, where those strength of those winds put him in a situation where he really had no other hope but his hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no other hope but to, to call out to the Lord who was mighty to save and who was mighty to rescue. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing to be um, uh, calling on God in a time when he couldn't He couldn't do that himself. And it just made me appreciate, I guess, I suppose, um, a little bit more of Peter's, Peter's temptation and Peter's trial on, on that day. We're going to pray in a moment um, and we're going to pray um, uh, for the word uh, that God sends out his word as it ought to be, be spoken. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, for the glorious uh, weather that we have. I thank you, Lord, for the glorious word that we have this morning. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would speak with great power and with great strength, that, Father, our hearts are open to listen to what you have to say and that our hearts are ready to receive what you want to give. Father, I thank you, Lord, for everyone who's logged on this morning. I thank you, Lord, for those who might be new this morning, and I pray that their hearts are ready to hear you. And we ask this, all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want you to think a little bit about this theme of holiness that I, I began to speak a little bit about last week. And I want you to sit and reflect this morning on some scriptures I want to share with you and more importantly, where you see yourself in light of these scriptures. Remember, what's most important for you is not what I have to say, but what the Word of God has to say. It's not my opinion, but it's what the Word of God has to say. And I pray this morning that you are courageous enough to say, well, Lord, 
the scriptures that have been read this morning and the thoughts that have been shared this morning, is this my life? Is this my life? And if we took out, if we took out all, all the scriptures and the references in the Bible that explained both the holy character of God and the holy living of his people, I think we'd have hardly anything left in the Bible. I think we'd have a book that was pretty thin in the Bible. If we took out all these references to God and his people and their call to be holy, pretty thin book. I think that says something about the importance on God's heart when it comes to this topic and the importance for us as we receive it. So we ought to pay attention. We ought to pay close attention to listen very carefully to what it is that God is trying to communicate to us. Let me tell you something a bit about, uh, uh, let, me, let me share with you firstly a scripture just to set the scene of the, the importance of, of this. In Romans it says this, for whom he foreknew, this is God, for the ones that God foreknew, he also predestined. Yeah, this is, um, I'm just going to make a reference to this if you want to know where it is. It's Romans 8.29. He also predestined. That's a pretty strong word. That's God saying God's determining something. And when God determines something, it's going to happen. Yeah. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at that. God predestined us to be made and mold, molded into something in particular, and it wasn't who I want to be. It wasn't my desires and goals in life. But above all that, he is molding and making us deliberately and intentionally and, and, and with determination to the image of his son, Jesus the picture of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the, 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 the character of Jesus, absolutely phenomenal to think about how God's plan for the believer is that the believer would be transformed into not who they think they want to be but into the image of Christ, that you can look at your life and say, my life represents the Saviour. Beautiful absolutely beautiful, beyond comprehension, unworthy of this, yet God grants us this life. That we might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, this is who we're going to become, his brother and sister. What a privilege. What a privilege for us. And that sets the scene for us because what it does, it says to God, he predestined us to become like this. He determined that we would become like this. And so you would expect throughout all the scriptures from Genesis to the end, you would expect that it's written all throughout, woven in and out of scripture, that we may get clarity and understanding on the importance and the meaning and the characteristics of this holiness. But let me ask you firstly, when you think of holiness, when you think of it, what image comes to mind? What do you imagine it to be? 
Who do you imagine it to be? Who do you think of? What do you think of? What, what practices do you imagine? What lifestyle do you envisage? And what's interesting, when people think about the life of holiness, often they think about something outside of them. This person, that practice, that kind of lifestyle, that living, those words. And while that's okay to reflect on what holiness is externally, really what you should be considering is what's the practice of your life that is a reflection of this holiness. There should be a a confidence that, that your life is becoming more and more of what this holiness is. And I, and I think often there is a perception of holiness out there that is actually um, not quite hitting the mark. You know, like you've got a bullseye and the 10 is the mark and there's the 7 and the 5 and the 3. And often people are striking at the 7 and the 5s and the 3s, hoping that they'll get to the mark of holiness. And maybe if they use particular words or if they read the Bible in a particular way or if they get up at a particular time to read the Bible or if they, or if they dress in a certain way or whatever, whatever their perception, whatever their perception is. There, there is this hitting of a mark of what holiness is that kind of misses the actual bullseye. And so we as Christians need to understand that we haven't got this perception of holiness that's not what God intended. And people use words like it's not a pious man, not a religious man. And, and you, can, you can use these words to help you reflect on it. But what is the scripture teaching us? What is the scripture reminding us of? And so if it's it's, it's significant to God and it's woven throughout scripture and we don't want to have a wrong perception of what it is, then we want to go to the word and listen to what the word tells us. Probably not a message that can be covered in one, but let's have a go. Let's let's allow me to just share with you some scriptures and thoughts around this around this area. So go with me to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. I want to read verses one to five, but I want to focus in on verse five. Yeah, Second Timothy chapter three, uh, verses one to five, and in this passage here, Paul is addressing a, a, a very familiar problem that is, is very similar to the problems we're experiencing today, okay? It's a very complicated world. It's a complicated world with complicated lives and, and, and sin that is just uh, running wild. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is addressing this to Timothy and it's no different for us today. And so he says this in chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, and indeed there's lots of talks about the last days today, so that is the case, and I have no problem believing it's the last days. Hone in and think. Do you see these things around you? You're not going to be surprised. You're going to think, yeah, look at this. This is so true today. That in the last days Perilous times will come for for men and women will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boasters. 
They can be very proud. They're going to be blasphemers, going to blaspheme God. Hey, they're going to be disobedient to parents. All of a sudden the parents have to start listening to the children rather than the children to the parents. They're going to be unthankful, very entitled, perhaps you could say, a generation of entitlement, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without any self-control, and, boy, the internet doesn't uh, um, do any justice or help in that area, without any self-control, brutal, despisers of what's good, traitors, headstrong. Is there a bit of that going on in people's relationships? Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power, denying its power, almost as if to say, no, this can't be true. It's not what you're saying. We can't live like this. Denying. It's not even almost, it's an interesting phrase. It's not like almost saying ignorant of, but denying the power, denying its power. And from such, people turn away. This is so, such a problem. This is such a, a contagious issue that if you're not careful, and you're relaxed and you're comfortable to mingle with such people and, and, and entertain such company that, that perhaps is going to become so infectious that you start to believe and practice the same things. It is dangerous. He goes, avoid them. This is how severe and serious and, and, and significant the issue is for the Apostle Paul. So he's, he's, he talks about this very complicated world, complicated lives that, where, where sin is just uh, prominent, no different to the world we live in today. And then he talks about these people, this, this, this group of people who, who have a form, a semblance of godliness. We'll talk about that in a moment. But can't capture the significance of holiness. Do we live in a world like that today? Do we live in a world that where, where churches speak so much of grace that they forget the uh, responsibility of, of Christians? Do we look at it, do we live in a world today where the, the cross is, is misunderstood as, as something that just covers us and therefore we're free to do what we want to do? What is the scripture teaching us, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit penned these words and the Holy Spirit's desire when he penned these words through Paul is the same desire that the Holy Spirit has today. 
And in verse 5, he speaks about a, a, a life that is of contradiction. In verse 5, he speaks about a life that is one thing and yet another thing. One thing and yet lives another way. Outwardly certain things, but inwardly something different. This is a contradiction, brothers and sisters. And we need to come and understand this for ourselves and look at the scriptures and think, okay, very simply, did I make a decision to follow Jesus? Yes or no? Have I decided to follow Christ? Yes or no? And if I've decided to follow Jesus Christ, you have not joined a club. You have not joined a community for the social reasons. That's not the priority. That's not top of the list. Though there is strong community and though there is strong connections, have you made a decision to follow Christ? And if so, brothers and sisters, you're not adding Christ to your life. Rather, you're giving your life to Christ. You're not adding him to everything else you're doing. As if to say, I can, I can keep all these things. Oh, fantastic. Let's put Christ into this because, you know what, I want a bit of security. Maybe, maybe if I die one day, I want to go to heaven. Maybe, maybe it will help me feel a bit better. But all the rest of my life is, is still in existence. And a decision for Christ is not adding Christ to your life. It's giving your life to Christ. And this is important when we understand what God is calling us to do because in God's heart, it's absolutely important. Listen to another reference in Hebrews 12, 14. The writer says, pursue peace with all people. Yeah, pursue peace with all people. I think, brothers and sisters, this is what we're particularly trying to do in this time. We pursue peace with all people and, listen, and holiness. What's the writer telling us to say? Well, I want you to pursue peace with all people and I want you to pursue holiness. Are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing peace with all people? Are you pursuing holiness? Pursue holiness. Deliberate intention, daily pursuit of holiness. Or are we in the pursuit of self? And this pursuit of holiness is absolutely critical because listen to how this verse ends. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without, listen, without which no one will see the Lord. You make up your own mind how you want to interpret this verse. You make up your own mind how you want to uh, uh, treat the topic of holiness, the seriousness of holiness, whether you add Christ to your life or whether you give your life to Christ. You make up your own mind. The Bible tells me here that I'm to pursue peace with all people and holiness because without it, I am not seeing the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this verse stirs me constantly, regularly to be in the pursuit of holiness. And so when Paul says you can 
There is the risk, there is the problem of, of, of a semblance of godliness and yet denying its power. I want to know what that looks like. I want to know what that means. I want to know what that understands because I don't want to find myself deceiving myself, thinking I, I am holy and, and I'm doing what, what Christians do only to find I'm denying the power within. I can stand for Christian values. A non-Christian can stand for Christian values, but is the life working in me? Is the life powerfully changing me? This is the question I want to ask myself. And I pray you're asking yourself as well. So Paul says there is a, a form of godliness. It's like what he's making reference here, it's, it's like a, an outline of godliness, uh, something that is uh, uh, presents in a certain way. The word also that can be used here is the word semblance, which is it's like an appearance of something, but it's not really the reality of it. So it can look quite good. It actually can give you the perception and the idea that it's holy, but it's not its reality. It's not what really it actually means. And this is not a... Um, uh, this is not a problem new to Paul. This is not a problem new to the time he wrote it. This problem existed before he wrote it. Remember Jesus and his words? Remember Jesus in Matthew 23 when he's addressing the Pharisees? What did he say to them? He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says that he calls them hypocrites because this is a, another real risk of having a form of godliness. He says, you're, you're hypocrites, he says to them. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were up there. They were like among the highest of leaders. He goes, you're like whitewashed tombs. It's not a new problem. Jesus is addressing a problem that existed before. Even Paul wrote this. He goes, you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear at beautiful outwardly. Yeah, you've got the whitewashed tombs, the immaculate on the outward perspective. You know, they're, they're, they're looking mint on the outward perspective. Whitewashed tombs. But inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Problem. What's going on on the inside? What's going on on the part no one sees? What's going on on the part no one knows about? In fact, I, I tend to think that eventually people are going to know about it. But, but what's going on deep down? Here, that matters. And then he goes on to tell them, he says, even so you also outwardly appear to be righteous to men. Interesting. But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so you want to, you know, you go give your brother a really massive hug and, hey, bro, how you going, man? I love you. It's fantastic. You're good. And then you go home and you tell your wife, oh, man, that guy, I don't really, you know, he's just so annoying. I can't believe I ran into so-and-so today. But, but there's an appear of righteousness. There's an appear of righteousness. But in your heart, there's something else going on. It's also a problem that happened in the book of Acts. Some of you will be familiar with the story of some Jewish men 
who were trying to, they, they were seeing the miracles of God. They were saying the miracles of Paul. There was a point where even unusual miracles were happening. The Apostle Paul, um, uh, his handkerchief was, was healing people. It was quite unusual. Bible, if I remember correctly, the Bible refers to it as unusual miracles. And they saw these miracles and they tried, these Jewish men were trying to deliver a man who had a demon. And not just them, but there was also seven sons of a high priest called Sceva. And now these priests were also, remember, outwardly looking good, were trying to uh, uh, deliver this man from a demon. You know what the demon said to them? True story. In fact, they said, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. What's that? Outwardly, lovely. Got to do something good. Got to present or, or act in a way that's righteous. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out of him. But there's a problem. It's not outward. The demon says to them, Paul I know, Jesus I know, who are you? And he came out and attacked them and they left wounded and naked. You can have all the form you like. You can have all the words you like. You can say hallelujah as much as you want. You can say praise the Lord as much as you want. You can read your Bible as long as you want. But at the end of the day, the power is in the Holy Spirit working in you that is not creating a form but the actual reality of godliness. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that as long as this church is on this earth, we would help you and everyone and me guard our hearts that we would never find rest and comfort in what is a form of godliness, lest we fall short of God. And these men um, uh, uh, were ran away naked and wounded, and, 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 and this is contagious, brothers and sisters. It's contagious. And so Paul, in his wisdom, asks he says, and from such turn, uh, from such people turn away. Be careful. Be careful. That's not to shun people and to hate them, but be careful. Be aware. Be aware. This practice, brothers and sisters, needs to come to an end today. This, this practice of having a form of godliness must come to an end today. Um, it's, it, can't, it can't continue. Today is the day where you say to yourself, I'm done with trying to be something and inside I'm different. This, this is what we need to begin to believe, that it is the power of God to change the inward person. Listen, it is the power of God alone that changes the inward person to become like Christ, listen, by faith. Do you understand? It is the power of God alone. Could Peter save himself out of that water? It is the power of God alone that changes the inward person to become like Christ in everything by faith. 
And often, brothers and sisters, the wrestle we have is the wrestle of faith, the suffering we experience to to, um, uh, deny uh, uh, worldliness or, or, or the understanding of scriptures or the practice of our lives, all these things that we do and everything we try and do, these experiences often lend themselves to one particular thing, and that is the wrestle of our faith. It's the wrestle of our faith. It's coming to a place that realises and understands, Lord, I cannot, but you can. And it doesn't mean we sit back and say, oh, you know, um, uh, uh, I, I'm still doing this because, because God hasn't done it in me yet. That's, that's not right. That attitude is far from the truth. But as we pursue it and we suffer and we, we struggle to understand and we, we practice different things and we endure patiently. All these things lend themselves to one simple thing, that is, will my faith come to a place where I say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And the transforming power of God that transforms us from the inside. It's almost a paradox. It's wrestling out in order to rest. It's in a wrestle, it's in a wrestle in order to find rest. That God is able. Amen. That God is able. And I know throughout more of my Christian life, there are different seasons and times that I've thought this looks holy and this might be holy and if I do this, this will be holy and if I get up a certain time, this might be holy and if I wear a certain piece of clothing, that might be holy. And all these things I've wrestled with in my life. That God is working in, in, in the depth of my heart and understanding that God can do it. And this faith, whether you're suffering and understanding and practice, this faith is a faith that will overcome. So there's two words I want you to remember. Um, There's two words I want you to remember. There's, There's the word reject and the word embrace. The word reject. We need to reject the form of godliness, brothers and sisters. We need to reject the form of godliness. I want you to tell me what do you see wrong with these these examples I'm going to give here. Someone works for Nissan. They've got a Nissan car. They're driving on the road. They're an employee. They're working. They're currently working. They're in their Nissan car. And on the back of their car, they've got a bumper sticker that says Ford Rules. What's wrong with that? There's an inconsistency. There's an contradiction. You know, you you work for one company, you're driving their car, and you've got a sticker that says Ford Rules. It's wrong. People look at it and think that's bizarre, that's strange. What is it? Are you this or that? Where's your heart? Where's your loyalty? Where's your... Where's, where's your life? Or someone works in a Nike store. They work, they're currently in Nike, working in the store, working for Nike, and they're, they're geared up with ASIC runners, ASIC tracksuit, ASIC hat. There's something wrong with that. Where are you, hang on. Who are you part of? What are you trying to sell me? What are you trying to give me? What you want or who you're for? 
And so there's this inconsistency, or all the classic when you see a young person working at McDonald's and, 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 and they're having a lunch break from their McDonald's and they're in the McDonald's uniform and they go to KFC for lunch. It's like, oh, this is a bit odd. What well, isn't what you really have good enough? And so this is inconsistency, this problem with what we see because there's, there's something not quite right. There's something not quite right about it. It's inconsistent with who you're saying you are and how you're actually living. And they're just little examples. But remember a long time ago, some of you may remember, families, a lot of families are very popular. There was fake fruit on tables, yeah, a plastic fruit on tables. Remember those days? And, and, and they still got them. But there's, in those days, you could pretty much tell. Yeah, you could pretty or even fake plants. You could pretty much tell they were fake. You know, you looked at them with, oh yeah, that's the fake apple, or that's the fake plant. You know, today, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but today I look at some of the fake plants out there. And I think, is that real? They're so they developed so well, so crafty. They have a semblance, but they're not the real thing. It's wrong. It's wrong to do and live in such a way that at the end of the day, it does not represent the power that's working within us. The victory, brothers and sisters, is Jesus working within us. And he communicated this. This is what he communicated. He said, I'll give you an example. Remember he said to the people, he goes, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay. That's wrong. It's still wrong. Don't commit adultery. You got one wife, stick to your wife. You got one husband, stick to your husband. Very simple. No one else is yours. Don't go near it. Don't entertain it. Don't play around with it. No one else is yours. That's who you married. That's who you committed to. Jesus said, You heard it said. He wasn't saying it's wrong because that's the right thing. He says, But I tell you something, don't even lust now towards someone else. Because if you do, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Because what Jesus is dealing with here is not just the outward. He's dealing with what is going on inwardly. Yeah, you can be all noble and I've never committed adultery and they committed adultery, but your mind and heart is rife with lust. And that's wrong. That's not godliness. That's not Christ-likeness. That's not God transforming his people, predestined them to the image of Christ. What about murder? Jesus said, you heard it said, don't murder. Well, that's good. Don't murder. That's a good thing. You don't want to murder. You'll end up in jail. Here's what I tell you. But I, want you, I don't even want you to be angry against your brother without a cause because it's inside that Jesus is dealing with. Get that right and you'll never murder. Listen, get the lust right and you'll never commit adultery. This is the power of God. What? I can't do that? <laughs> You're getting to the right place because throwing yourself at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, but you can. Not going and giving myself liberty so then I can say until God does it. No, but Lord, I know you can. And working this faith before the Lord and before the cross and experiencing the power of God. You know, in some ways it's the opposite. Uh, the opposite is what Christians should be, where they look ordinary. They look ordinary. And yet in it, within them, there is a great power, a dynamite. It's like the Clark Kent scenario, the Clark Kent scenario. People looked at him, ordinary man, maybe a little bit nerdy even, 
people would think nothing of the power he has, but just an ordinary bloke mingling amongst ordinary people, but within him a great power. He didn't boast about. He didn't draw attention to himself. But in him was a power that existed, if you like, a Christian humbly walking before their God, not drawing attention to the form of godliness that exists around them, but knowing the power of God in them working because by faith they believe. Reject. Reject this form of godliness. And the second word is embrace. Embrace the power that God has provided, the Holy Spirit working, changing us to the image of Christ by faith. This power that he's talking about here is, uh, now I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but dunamis is the word and where we get our word dynamite from. Look at that. It's a dynamite living within you, the Holy Spirit ready to explode every unrighteousness. Because, brothers and sisters, while Jesus is here for all sinners, his healing hand is really only to those who are broken sinners. Do you understand? Oh, he's here for all sinners, but to the broken sinners, that's where they experience healing. Remember Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah, Luke 5. Who's righteous? Nobody's righteous. What he's saying here, the people who don't see that they are broken sinners. I didn't come to call them. I came to call the sinners to repent. Those who see themselves is having this problem. And that's not, a, that's not a new concept. Back in Isaiah 66, God says, for all these things my hand has made, and this is talking about heaven and earth and the throne, and all these things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. That's the one I look upon. Yeah, I've made all these amazing things, but who do I, who do I focus on? I don't focus on all these amazing things. I focus on the one who was broken and of a contrite spirit, crippled, who needs me, who trembles at my word. They're the ones my arm reaches out and they find power within them. The problem is, brothers and sisters, we treat our sin in the wrong way. And I know I'm conscious of the time, but let me quickly tell you four ways we, we treat our sin at least four ways that are very, very dangerous. That we can somehow come to a place that we think we can coexist with sin and that's acceptable before God. Very simply, I'll tell you briefly. Firstly, we can, we can enjoy it. Oh, but it's just too good. I just enjoy it so much. How can, how can something so good be so wrong? You know, it, it's, just, it's just so pleasurable. You know, it's necessary pleasure of life. I don't want to end my life and realise I've forfeited this pleasure. We enjoy it. Secondly, we try and hide it. Meaning, meaning we, 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 we think, okay, look, it's, it's, it's kind of, I know it's sort of probably not right, but as long as it doesn't get out there, it doesn't get leaked, I, I should be okay. We, we hide it as if, like, God can't see it. And God doesn't grieve over it. 
and breaks his heart for your sake because he wants you to be free. Like a little child trying to hide what they're doing from their parents. Not understanding the warmth of his love, saying, tell me, brother, tell me about it, son. Tell me about it, daughter. I'm here to set you free. That's what I came to do. I came to break the chains of sin. I came to set the captives free, Luke 4. We hide it. Third one, we treat it like a convenience. We say to ourselves things like, you know what, I don't always do it, but there are some times in life, there are some moments in life, I've just got to get out of a situation, so I've just got to do a little sin. Because it's convenient. Because if I don't, I'm going to get myself in deeper waters. And fourthly, we, we, we minimise it. Ah, it's not that bad, you Christians. You always talk about sin. You always talk about this. You always talk about that. It's not that bad. God's grace is bigger than all this. And we minimise it as if to say it's not as bad as it's being made out to be. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. If it took Jesus to die and suffer on the cross for it, then it's the ugliest thing that's ever existed. If it meant the Son of Man had to suffer and have his beard pulled out and have a crown of thorns on his head and had been whipped and beaten before he went to the cross, bloodied on the cross and hanging to, to, to almost to, to a place of suffocation, if it took that, then it must be the ugliest thing that's ever existed. Don't minimise sin. Don't say to yourself, it's not that bad. Brothers and sisters, will you this morning receive the power of God that you reject, you reject the form of godliness and you embrace the power of God to set you free, to believe? Will you believe it? Will you come to a place that even if the flesh is warring against you to believe this, that you would war against the flesh to come to a place that says, Lord, I will struggle and I will suffer and I will strive to come to a place to believe that you can do it in me and that your power can work with a dynamite within me. Your power to believe, a faith to believe that God has the power to set free. Let me finish with this scripture. Romans 8. Romans 8, 11, which is probably a scripture that can be easily overlooked when we're reading Romans 8. Paul says this, but if the spirit of him, we're talking about the power of the spirit here, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now listen to what the, what the, the, the premise is here. That if the spirit of him, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, I don't know about you, but if something's able to raise someone from the dead, it must be pretty powerful. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, well, this is getting exciting. What's he about to say? You've got this dynamite in you that is able to raise people from the dead. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise the Lord. Will we believe or will we make excuses? We will find reasons 
or will we choose to say, Lord, it's all about you. You can do it. If your spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, what is there beyond your spirit that can be done? And, Lord, I'm done with what I'm doing. Here it is. And to believe and to come to the And, yes, there will be, there will be, there might be uh, a suffering that comes with that. And there might be struggles that come with that. There might be striving that comes with that. But this is, this is the Christian life. To a place that believes, Lord, I can't, you can. And then to believe that you will see it. And hold on to this truth that the Lord gives us. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's reject all forms of godliness. Let's not find any comfort in a form of godliness, but rather let's believe and receive power that Christ works in us. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Um, I pray that the word, most importantly, uh, works in your heart. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to uh, contact me through the week. Um, and I pray that you, uh, most importantly, you come to a place where you, where you seek this and this alone uh, within your relationship with the Lord. Holiness is not a choice. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the love that they have for one another, and I thank you for the love they have for you. Lord, I pray uh, that we may open our hearts to the words you have spoken to us, and I pray that by faith we come at, your, at the foot of your cross, believing, resting, knowing that it's your power that works within us. Father, I pray you continue to send us out as your ambassadors, as your children, to represent you, Lord, and to get our hands and feet active for the kingdom. Father, teach us to do this and to do it very well, waiting for your return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.